Hey y'all, welcome to Couture Conversations Podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Steele. I'm so excited to get to talk with you. As soon as I heard the name of your company, CMA, which um, translates to together, and well, in CMA, CMA, it translates to together, is such a beautiful name, especially for what your product is creating and how the aesthetic looks and what you're doing with the sustainable leather industry. So I have so many questions. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank yes. you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. So Cassandra and I met each other through the Female Founder Collective group. I was doing some online shopping and I have probably three of your beautiful little keychain bags in my cart at the moment to check out. I'm going to get it for my um, for my nieces for Christmas. I think they're just oh so... Gosh. So wonderful. I lived in Florence for, oh my gosh, absolutely. I was like, this is so beautiful. Also, I lived in Florence and I, I mean, this was a decade ago now, but what brought you to Italy? And first and foremost, how did you create this beautiful name that encapsulates your business? I'll start with how I came to Italy because I was a designer in New York, mostly for outerwear, evening wear. I worked for brands like Dennis Basso and Zach Posen and Ellie Tahari. So I was always on the higher end and traveling all over the world. In 2017, I was in between jobs. I was thinking about pivoting into accessories design and handbags because there weren't a lot of luxury handbag designers in New York, uh, not like there are in Europe. I was at a crossroads in my career and in my life. And I was like, you know what? I really want this experience of going to Italy and learning handbags and living in Italy for a little while. To be honest, I thought I was going to end up in Milan because I'd traveled there a lot for work. But every time I came back to Italy, whether it was for work or even the first time that I ever came to Italy when I was on study abroad in London and I came on a trip with some girlfriends, I just felt very connected And I know everybody says that, but clearly I did because I moved here. But I just felt like the best way I could describe it is that once I saw Tuscany, it was very hard for me to even go back to New York knowing that this place existed. I was just like, what do you mean I'm supposed to go back to like New York and New Jersey and just keep living my life when I know this is here in our world? (laughs) I know the feeling, really. (laughs) Right? As my mother said, she was like, everybody chills that way in Tuscany. I ended up coming to the Scuola del Coyo, which is one of the oldest leather schools in Italy, and it's in Florence, in the Santa Croce Church, for six months. I did their professional like artisan training program for handbags, thinking I was going to go back to New York. Loved it, wanted to stay, ended up meeting my now fiancé, who is Italian and from Florence, born and raised. I started working in a high-level handbag factory. It was really more of a sample factory. We made runway samples for a lot of the major brands, luxury brands, and we would do some small production, but it was like a very high-level little factory. And that's where I started seeing the amount of leather that was getting thrown out during production. And it was really my aha moment. I think a lot of us founders or 
people who work in sustainability within fashion talk about our aha moments of, okay, I can't, I can't continue going on with blinders or, you know, not solving this problem or trying to be part of the solution or anything like that. Uh, And so I started doing some research and it turns out that in luxury production, specifically because of the really high quality control standards and the high margins. So there's less of a need to be as frugal with the material is a nice way of putting it up to 60% actually gets discarded during the production process. Whoa, that is a very Uh high percentage. Uh Uh-huh. Average 20 to 40, but what we see at the highest levels sometimes is even up to 60%. And I was just kind of looking around throughout Florence and Tuscany and Scandici, which is historically where the it's right 10 minutes outside Florence, but it's the big handbag manufacturing town within Tuscany. And I was like, there's no infrastructure for this. There's no to repurpose it, to sort it. And I started going down that path of what do they do with all this excess leather without uncovering any really good solutions. And that inspired me to start CMA naively. And I was just like, well, I'm going to collect all this leather (laughs) and I'm going to make beautiful handbags out of it. I'm a designer and I can design into all of this excess material and make these circular luxury handbags here in Italy that are made entirely from rescued leather, very much inspired by the culture of Tuscan leather and Florentine leather. And that's honestly what led me on this path to starting CMA. I quickly learned that, you know, you're working with all different types of leather and materials. And so how can you make it, how can you design a brand and a a concept that can also be scaled when all the materials you're constantly getting are very different? There's a lot of challenges that come with designing into existing materials or excess materials and things you can't control from zero or create from scratch. And so I was very inspired to weave them like many bags over centuries and centuries have been woven here in Tuscany. So we work with artisan weavers. It took me two years to find them. It took me a lot of time to find, you know, all of the partners that we have, the the weaving art, the artisan weaving partners, the family owned factories that we work with to assemble all of our bags. Uh, Because not everybody wanted to work with excess materials that were constantly changing and more in small batch. And with those kinds of restrictions, I really felt like by the time we had finally launched, it took about a little over two years, I want to say, I felt like it was very much a collaborative community effort to really launch this brand. And that's why CMA, which comes from the Italian word for together in CMA, felt like a really appropriate name for for the line. I love it. What you're doing is so unique. I'm hard pressed to find any any female founded company that's doing something like what you're doing. You know, taking 60% of what is discarded. That's like also a very mind-blowing percentage to me as well. And I hope anybody listening to this is like also mind-blown because when you're working at such a high level and these gorgeous bags are being created all the time, that's so much excess material, using it is contributing so beautifully to the sustainability movement in luxury fashion. It's the same materials being used 
in these gorgeous luxury handbags, it's just repurposed. I almost kind of laughed to myself a little bit when you were like, it was really hard to find designers and individuals wanting to work with repurposed. For those who love to listen to this, they don't really know what that means. Why wouldn't a designer really want to work with repurposed materials? Especially for leather, it's it's so much harder. If you order virgin materials, you're getting a whole roll of fabric. At your, you can order as much as you need to produce. Let's say I need to make 50 bags and I need 50 skins. So I'm just going to order those 50 skins exactly in the color I need. They're going to be all perfect or as close to as possible. And I can just, in a very industrialized way, cut all of the pieces I need, sew all of the bags, and I'm on my way. Well, when you're working with excess materials and a lot of this is scrap leather, and I say that and people are going to imagine tiny little pieces of scrap, and that is not where, like, when I tell you I had this aha moment, it was because I was seeing scrap leathers that were bigger than I could lay down on the floor and it could have been half the skin, but for whatever reason, it's thrown out because it has natural wrinkles in it, or even just changes in the texture. And when you're dealing with bags that cost thousands and thousands of dollars, they have very strict quality control standards as they should, but then you're using a natural product that can't always meet that standard because it's a natural product. And so a lot more gets thrown away, even more than you would see at a lower priced level especially because maybe the way it's tanned, it's a lot more natural. So you get that super soft and super buttery leather feel. Well, that means that it's even more natural. So they put less coating on it, less color on it. So you really see all of the natural defects a lot more. For example, just to make our bags, even though we might not be directly paying for the materials, we have to collect all of that material from various factories which is very, you know, logistically hard. The stuff is heavy. It's in huge boxes. We need trucks to move it. We have to bring it to our central sorting location, which is a leather upcycling center that I co-founded with my business partner here in Italy, uh, in Scandici, in order to be able to do this. And we have to sort it all by color and by type of leather. Then we have to split it down into the thickness we need, cut it into strips, assemble it into packages of colors, and then the artisan weavers get it. So all of that work is extra work that normally, even if I was making woven bags from virgin leather, I would literally order the leather from the tannery, we'd cut the strips and it'd go to the weavers. So about five extra steps are cut out of that process. And then on top of that, every single time we go to make a bag, the leather is slightly different and all high-end bags have reinforcements. They have all these different backings and everything. Well, if you change the leather every single time, then those reinforcements and everything needs to be adjusted slightly, or you need to design, have a good enough understanding of the design and how to make handbags uh, and the entire process that you can kind of design a way to do that without it being too difficult for the factory. But that's really why it's so much extra work to design with a lot of excess materials. And you've got to get a lot more creative. You kind of got to work backwards and see what you have first and then design into what you have. Hope that you can find partners that will believe in your (laughs) mission as much as you do. You said it so beautifully put. It's believing in your vision. When you're so used to things being one way it's hard to shift into a newer way of thinking. And, but I think what you're doing is like absolutely brilliant because 
I have been to factories and I have seen the discarded fabric. I remember I was in a silk factory in, in Rati, actually, Italy. <laughs> and um, right out, I think that's right outside Prado. Um, it's called the Rati Silk Factory. I mean, these beautiful, beautiful designer silks are just like discarded. And their gift shop, they made all of the discarded little fabrics into tank tops or scarves mm. or something like that. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I'm getting this basically for free because it's discarded and nobody wants it. I remember when I bought this little uh, silk halter top <laughs> back in 2000 and, oh, was that 2012? And I flipped the collar up. Inside of the collar, it said Versace. And I was like, what? It was mm-hmm. this beautiful piece of clothing that was repurposed into a, a shirt. And I said to myself, wow, what an industry that could be. And, you know, 10 years later, you, you just forget about it. And then I hear about what you're doing <laughs> and your company. And I say to myself, wow, what she's doing, she's really bringing Italian culture back to life in a new way. One thing that I also like honed in on is that it took you two years to get everything together. So two years is a long time and anyone would probably, anyone that really didn't believe in what they were doing would probably call it quits at like six months, be like, this is too hard. I can't do this. Oh my gosh. I can't find designers. When you have so many things against you, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs would feel very similarly. What was it that made you just persevere through those two years to kind of get through all of that? Well, it was during the pandemic because I started this journey, it's honestly more than two years, because I started this journey right before the pandemic. And then it that all happened. And it was like, okay, nobody wants handbags, no matter how ethical and restorative or luxury they are right now. And we did pivot a little bit to helping local factories in different ways for a while. But I guess it's just that I never honestly wanted to start my own line. I would get asked that question a lot as a designer. And I always said no, because I thought there was just too much stuff in the world. And until I had an idea that I felt like was really compelling and not something that could be easily duplicated and not something that I saw being done in the market, that's when I would pursue having my own line because it's very, very, very hard. That's, I guess, how I feel about. CMA and using all this repurposed leather uh, because it's almost impossible for, unless you really have a passion for trying to keep this stuff out of landfills, and I do for so many reasons. It's just too much work for an established company to come in and want to try to copy that in any sort of way. The economics make no sense. I guess it's just me searching for this fashion industry that I always imagined being a part of. And I think a lot of us that work in fashion can say that, that we, when we're younger and we have these dreams of working in fashion, my, and you know, I, my family goes back generations as tailors and seamstresses and fabric owners and milliners more than we, you know, more generations than we really know for sure. I always dreamed of being a fashion designer and then I got into the industry and the longer you're in the industry, the more you start seeing just all of the issues and the red flags and the problems. And a lot of people decide that it's not for them and they leave and other people choose to forge on and try to carve out a better way. I can't imagine doing anything else. So I think I just got to a point where I was like, I need to be part of the solution. I need to build. And I think Eileen Fisher, you know, she's probably one of the biggest symbols of this. You know, I need to build the fashion industry that I want 
to see. I need to be a part of it and just, yeah, put a stake in the ground uh, for what it can be. Absolutely. I, when I was working for her, I was just so empowered to, and I was so drawn to everything sustainable because before that, I was not working with sustainable brands. And the way that she ran, runs her company is incredible. She runs it in such a way where, in such a sustainable way, that's really admirable. And I always really appreciated that she was one of the first to teach me, not personally. I did not work directly with Eileen, but she would come around the office all the time and talk with us. And, you know, I was such a low level individual. I started as an intern and she was so wonderful. When you're working in the sustainability, sustainable fashion industry, you do have a vision, or at least I did. I had a vision of what it was going to look like. I got out of the sustainable side of things and I worked for a department store. It was a better a career move financially and also personally at the time. But I really kick myself for doing that because I would see similarly all these samples literally shipped to us from vendors. They would be racks and racks and racks and racks and racks of these in our warehouses. No one was buying these. No one was taking these home and they were just wasted and discarded garments. And it would literally eat me alive. I remember going into the warehouse and probably taking home like 20 to 30 dresses at a time. It's interesting you said that a lot of people leave the fashion industry because of all the red flags that we see. I did. I left. I was like, I can't do this anymore for so many reasons. But I always had always had a passion for the fashion industry like you. We had passions for the fashion industry and we knew we wanted to make it better. So when I started my company, I wanted to make brands more successful, the ones that I believed in fully and totally. I wanted to highlight them. I wanted to give them a platform that they may not have had yet. I want to drive their sales higher because I believe in their products. At Siame, we always say we want you to feel as good on the inside as our products make you look on the outside. It's my overarching vision for all of fashion. I think, you know, when you buy a CMA bag, you know that it's upcycled rescued leather. You know that it's being made by artisans in Florence. We work exclusively with small family-owned factories. And then my like wider vision is even piloting these social programs uh, in collaboration with some associations here and and the, the Sustainable Design Center and Re- Leather Recovery Center that I opened with my partner. We're doing vocational training for marginalized communities and then figuring out how we can implement some of those people into our own production process and teach them weaving skills and different sewing and leather skills because there's a big need for more workers in the industry here. All of that it really shows that especially larger brands, there's a way for brands to support the communities that they work within and where they do production and not just exploit them or even, you know, not that luxury brands exploit people, but they provide jobs and that's great, but it can go a lot further than that. There's so much good that can be done, social programs that can be implemented and really ways to build back up a lot of communities worldwide that have been kind of torn apart and destroyed, whether that's because of material excess or labor exploitation or secondhand clothing market and being discarded in in various countries. 
that's also what I'm very passionate about and hope that we can, uh, we can achieve with CMA in the future. I think it's really great, all these initiatives that you're doing to give back to the communities. And Italy is the central hub for leather. The Pele industry is just so massive. When you're educating around this, I just feel like maybe we should do a course together to, in- to introduce all these all these leather and like sustainable things with the leather industry. It's very interesting. Well, that gets tough too, because I do get a lot of pushback. Um, about why use leather at all and leather is unsustainable and it's we shouldn't be using any leather we should be switching all to vegan leather and kind of what I say to that is that leather the way that it's used in our handbags and in our fashion over 95% of it is a byproduct from the meat industry we're eating more meat than ever so actually we're using less leather and eating more meat and it's not going anywhere anytime soon our mission is really to use it to its highest value and make sure that as much of it as possible is being utilized in the best way possible, not getting sent to landfills, not getting sent for incineration or destruction until that's the absolute, absolute last resort for the tiniest, tiniest little scraps of pieces because it's such a high value material and we really need to honor that. And then I just personally subscribe to the idea of buying really well-made quality products and keeping them for a very long time and using them for years and years and years. And maybe they're less trendy, but they have more style that resonates with you personally. Real genuine Italian leather definitely falls into that category because when taken care of well, it can last generations or can last definitely decades, sometimes generations, definitely decades. I think most of us have nice handbag from, you know, our mom or a great aunt or a grandmother that, you know, just like the silk scarves that can get passed down when it's taken care of well. So to me, that is what sustainability can be and what the leather, you know, sustainable leather can look like. I have a pair of leather boots from 2010 that I wore probably for two years straight that are still in great condition. I just get them resold every once in a while. They're like, it's phenomenal. And if I'm ever blessed with a daughter, she can have them. I was just going to say, I have so many belts for my mom from like the the seventies and the eighties and Yeah, a lot of times that same cannot be said with vegan leather. You know, once it breaks, it breaks. It's not like you can bring it to the cobbler. Or now we have all of these luxury leather concierge uh, repair services like Rebag and the Leather Spa in New York, where you can send, you know, bags that you might think are really just meant for, for the trash at this point. And they can really work miracles as long as it's real leather and and quality materials. I think that's the beautiful thing about it is that it is sustainable because it does last longer and we're already eating at so much meat and there's so many opportunities to it actually reminds me of what the Native Americans would do, where they wouldn't kill an animal for meat. They would use every single part of it. So to honor the animal, if we're eating it to sustain life, and then we're using other pieces of it to make our outside look beautiful, to nourish our insides. It is inside out, like what you said earlier. I obviously wear leather and I'm also a meat eater, <laughs> but I also understand the movement of wanting to move more towards you know, a sustainable way, but also it's changing the mindset of viewing what the leather industry could be. And I love that that's how you're pivoting in, in this industry, where it's these products are already here. 
these have been created for a reason. They're beautiful, high quality. Why can't we use this? Why can't we make it into something beautiful? And someone gets to carry it around and feel beautiful when they're wearing it. I think it's amazing. Exactly. And I think also, you know, for anybody who might have qualms or hesitance about buying a brand new leather handbag or leather handbag or something like that, I've had conversations with people that are vegan or just really don't want to support buying like virgin leather products. But as you said, everything that we use 100% is already here being utilized by or being made for other people's other brands production. And if I don't rescue it, if we don't rescue it and repurpose it nine times out of 10, it's going directly to landfill or to destruction. That is just a terrible solution to me. It's such a terrible, terrible solution. And I hate that that is what so many companies do. And it is, it does add five more steps onto your workload. And it's while you're not buying uh, bolts of these new virgin leather There's so much extra work that goes into it. It's very difficult to do what you're doing. I think that being able to make something so beautiful like your handbags are, and when you purchase this, you have a story to tell. And that's what I love the most about your brand, because especially the name CMA, all of the fabric being woven together and bringing the community together, now that I've learned that, it is also a story to be told about what it took to actually make this beautiful keychain, make this beautiful, gorgeous handbag. I saw one of your handbags that had this like beautiful tassel work on the handle. I was like, oh God, that's just stunning how it would drape over a woman's arm. But when someone's buying from you, sharing that story, is there like, does it come with a story pamphlet or or anything when someone purchases from you? Yeah, we have cards that explain everything we're doing in all of our packaging. So that it's very clear. And on our bags, we have how to wear QR codes so people can scan them and go directly to our website. On our website, we go a lot more in detail in our CMA diaries about how we recycle the leather. And if you follow us on social media at We Are CMA, then I really just show really behind the scenes footage uh, and all access pass to what, you know, just yesterday it was all about like, it was a sorting day for us. So we got a bunch of shipments of big boxes of leather access into the warehouse and we were sorting through it all and what that looks like. And I think people, when they see it on our social are always really shocked at just how much leather and, you know, like I said, it's huge pieces. So people really get the visual of, exactly what we're doing. And I'm constantly in the factories showing behind this, our sewers and our, we call them prototypistas here, sample makers and uh, crafters just making all of the product because I think that that all access, you know, you want to see that, you want to know, people want to know, we all want to know, and we work in fashion, but even people that don't, they would love to know the process behind which their clothes and the products they wear are made. I think it's very easy if you've never been up close to this industry to just assume that most of the things we wear and utilize are made by machines, 90% machines. And that's just not the case. The, the, the machinery has remained largely unchanged since the early 1900s. It just might've, you know, the motor's a little bit more improved. A couple more things are a little bit 
more automated. But other than that, there's still a person pushing that, you know, fabric or material through these different machines and hand finishing everything and hand packaging everything. Apart from fully fashion knitted sweaters, that shoes, belts, bags, pants, dresses, jackets, all of it, it's still made by people. Even people who don't aren't super interested in fashion, every, we're all interested in how the things that we interact with every day are made. So I think, yeah, showing that is really invaluable. But then I would also say that with the sustainability part, me personally, this is my passion. And I hope that that is our number one selling point at some point. But honestly, it's not today. You still need to make a beautiful product. And all of our bags are convertible. So like our Marina bag, which is the best selling, our best selling bag converts to be worn five different ways. So it's a shoulder bag and then it's a small shoulder bag. It can convert to a larger crossbody, like kind of carry all. It can convert to a fold over clutch because it's a very soft woven leather. All of them come with removable crossbody straps. And even our removable crossbody strap can also be converted to a skinny shoulder strap. So Every single, our wallets can convert to crossbodies, our, our small crossbody bag can convert to a wristlet, you know, all of the bags have this versatility feature, which honestly, coupled with the hand-woven and let the Tuscany and the Italian leather craftsmanship is our number one and number two selling point. And then when people discover that it's also upcycled and rescued leather, that really is what you know, gets them, you know, oh, wow, this is super unique. And I love it. Um, but hopefully that will be the number one selling point in the future. But I think it's important that like, you know, people still have to love it. And it still has to be a great, a great product. You are giving so much amazing advice. And I, I'm just soaking it up. And I anyone listening to this, I hope you're soaking it up too. Whenever you're creating a product, versatility in products and feeling like you're able to use it in more than one or two ways just really makes you feel like what you're purchasing is something you can is so versatile you can bring it on a vacation and say instead of packing three to four handbags you can pack one and maybe two and you can cut down on space but it's so versatile when you're creating a brand it's so important to think about what that messaging is going to be and it sounds like we are doing this for the sustainable industry but also for you, we're now created these beautiful soft leather products that can also be transformed into not just one bag, two bags, three bags for you, and which is just really interesting. And I'm so curious because you spent over two years building what you are now operating. So you have a business partner. There are so many people that are interested in starting their own company and they don't know where to get started. For you, your aha moment sounded like that was like, all right, now I know what I'm going to do and what I'm going to pursue. But what would you give as advice to someone who does want to do this? They just know where to, they just don't know where to start. Just start exactly where you are. It's never going to be, and I still feel this way. And we have so long to go. I mean, the handbags are only the handbag collection is only one year old at this point. It's going to evolve and change in ways that you can't possibly imagine. And until you just get started and start talking about it and start getting your idea out there, you can't know where it's truly going to go. And I wish 
somebody, you know, I, I didn't know what this process was going to look like for me collecting a leather. And for honestly, those two years, I just went around myself to factories and I got so many doors slammed in my face. And so many people who told me that my idea was crazy. And I still get a lot of people who tell me my idea was crazy, but now I'm sitting in this big 400 square meter space that we opened that at least I can prove to people otherwise with. But when I started, it was just me in a factory that was very nice and let me work out of their factory in their little back room. And I didn't know how I was going to scale it, but I knew I could do it. And I think that that's, and I was like, I just got to get this first bag out. I just got to get this sample made. I just got to get this first pre-collect, you know, pre-sale. I did a pre-sale for the first collection. Okay. I just got to get this first pre-sale collection ordered. Okay. I just got to get this first collection out. Okay. And and on and on and on. So who knows where I'll be in a year from now or in five years from now, but it's through conversations like this and getting the message out there and everything that you get on the path, I should say. But I know that sounds so cliche. Just start. It's like, but just start and don't, I worry too long about how it would look and wanting to seem like we were more established and more successful and more, you know, right off the bat from ground zero, like bigger than we actually were. And I don't think that's always super helpful. I think sometimes people want to know the this part, you know, the beginnings part and that it's you and connect with you as the founder and, and see your journey through all of it. So it's hard for me, but I still try to be, I, I do, especially on our social, try to be more honest about that now. And it's fabulous advice. It's so true. Instead of being so hyper-focused on where you want to end up, just focus on what you need to do next, what you need to do now to get to the next step, to get to the next step. I just need to finish the sample. Okay. I just need to finish this product. I just need to finish this. And then you build and build and build. And then you, you have a vision, but you're not like only focused on that. You're focused, more focused on where you are and starting where you are and moving along as you go. Cause there's no there's no blueprint to this at all. There's no, um, no, there's no perfect way of doing it because if there was, we would know about it by now. It's just (laughs) (laughs) true. (laughs) We would pay a lot of money for it. If somebody could just tell me what to do and promise me that it would, I mean, a lot of people try it, right? But if somebody was like, there was something out there that everybody knew was really the formula. I know <laughs> we would we would know it and we would follow it. But there's just there's no set path. There's no um, you know perfect way of doing it. It's your way of doing it, and that's the beautiful part about entrepreneurship is that you actually do get to do it your way. Cassandra, thank you so much for your time. I haven't spoken to someone this long on a podcast in a while, and I'm so Aww. excited. Um, I totally lost track of time. It was like such a fabulous conversation. Where can everyone find you? Yes, our website is www.wearecma.com. CMA is spelled S-I-E-M-E. And you can also find us on all social media at We Are CMA. Especially if you want to see all of our behind the scenes. Uh, We have a lot of really awesome products out for the holidays that make great stocking stuffers. Like you said, our card holders, our travel wallets, our convertible wallets, things like that. So you can find us also on Wolf and Badger. Definitely, definitely check us out. We make great holiday gifts. And I guess I just want to say for anybody shopping and listening to this, since it's coming out in December, that 
this is a really important time for small businesses and consumer facing businesses. And a lot of times these last six weeks of the year can really make or break a business or whether they'll be around for the next year. So if you can shop small and support, you know, independent brands and businesses in your local community, because it really does make all the difference. It really does. And these next couple of weeks, these next six weeks are such important times for businesses where product-based businesses, for service-based businesses to make those sales. So I'm elated that you were able to make some time during a crazy busy time of year for you. So so thank you so much. And I'm definitely going to have to have you back on soon. I would love to come anytime. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. (laughs) 